Well, I say this just about every week, but I promise I really do mean it. We really are so glad that all of you decided to tune in here today. We don't ever take that for granted, especially if it's your first time joining us. Uh, I totally get that, like, okay, trying something new, it can feel risky, it can feel intimidating, and so we're really, really thankful that you decided to give Grum Law a shot today. Uh, I'm confident that if you keep coming back, you tune in here for at least a couple of weeks, this will be something that you actually look forward to showing up to each and every week, and maybe, just maybe, you will eventually come walking in through our doors. Uh, we are smack dab in the middle of a series that we kicked off on January 2nd titled Better, which means if you're new or perhaps you're not new, but you just haven't been here really of late, uh, you're basically turning on Shark Tank right at the point where three of the sharks have already said, I'm out, and Mr. Wonderful is about to hit them with that royalty deal. If you don't watch Shark Tank, that analogy made no sense whatsoever. Point being, if you haven't been here lately, make sure you go catch yourself up at grumlaw.com messages or find us under Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you grab your podcast. But the whole premise for this series lies in the fact that Jesus, he looked at those early followers, his friends, his disciples, he looked at them right in the eye, directly on the heels, mind you, of the successful prediction of his own death and his own resurrection, right before he's about to leave this earth. He looks at him and he says, I'm telling you the truth. I'm not exaggerating. This isn't a lie. This is a fact. It is better for you that I go away, that I leave. Because if I don't go, the helper the advocate, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I do go away, then, then I will send him to you. That's right, Jesus, God in the flesh. He's trying to convince the very people that he had just spent the better part of three and a half years with face to face, that, that it's somehow gonna be better for them that rather than spending every waking moment together, that, that instead he leaves. It, it would have sounded slightly improbable to say the least, but here's what Jesus knew. As long as he stayed on this earth, his influence would be limited. He could only be at one place at one time, just like you and I. And if this message, his message, the gospel, that this movement that we now refer to as Christianity was going to reach quite literally everyone, the Holy Spirit had to be sent. See, Jesus didn't have just regional intentions for all of this. No, he became flesh, died for our sins, and then rose from the grave so that everyone might have the opportunity to be made right with God, including you. It's God's desire that everyone would experience life to the full, that the kind of life that's only found within a deep, intimate relationship with God himself. And so the Holy Spirit was sent. And no longer is God in one place at one time, no God in spirit. Wherever you go as a follower of Jesus, God now goes with you. God now goes before you. It's undeniably better. So, so the last couple of weeks, we spent a good chunk of time focusing both on the Holy Spirit's character as well as his personhood, that he is indeed a person with a mind, will, and emotions. A again, if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, you gotta go back and catch yourself up. This is not the series to just kind of pick and choose as you see fit. But, but this week, we're gonna be focusing on an event, an event that, that I have found seems to be as misunderstood as the Holy Spirit himself. An event that actually has drastic implications for every single person watching right now, especially if you call yourself a follower of Jesus. This event is Pentecost, or, or as I like to hear it referred to as the Holy Spirit's grand entry. Now, now this word Pentecost, depending on if you grew up in church or not, and if you did grow up in church, depending on the faith tradition you experienced as a child, it, it can conjure up all sorts of imagery and elicit all types of emotions. Now, for me, a person who grew up in a pretty orderly, traditional faith environment, all of this Pentecostal stuff, it carried a rather negative connotation. By the way, if that makes no sense to you at all, because this is literally the first time you have ever heard this term, I'm sorry, us lifelong Christians, we definitely carry all sorts of baggage. 
Now, the fact that that Pentecost or Pentecostal carries such a negative connotation for so many Christians is pretty unfortunate. I think really sad because as you're going to see today, Pentecost is in fact a wonderful event. It's an incredible day that we ought to look at with awe and gratitude. So so to better understand this event called Pentecost, we're going to turn our attention to a passage that we find in the book of Acts. This is the fifth book in the New Testament. It immediately follows Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. And Acts, in large part, it documents for us the rise of the early first century Christian church. And, And there in the second chapter, it describes this event. So novel idea to kind of look there, right? So in Acts chapter two, verse one, it says, on the day of Pentecost. Now, now, by the way, if you haven't ever read about this event in detail, I want to challenge you, I want to invite you to go read about this for yourself. We are not going to be able to uncover every detail here this morning. So so open up to Acts chapter 2, turn on to Acts chapter 2 if you have it on your phone, and actually read this event for yourself. In fact, that's just kind of a good rule of thumb. I hope you're not relying on this one hour each week on a Sunday morning to kind of get that weekly dose of Bible. Make sure that that's actually something that you're opening up and reading for yourself. Now, a little bit of context to kind of catch you up to this day. We're we're at this point 50 days removed from Jesus rising from the dead. For 40 days after his resurrection, he spent time appearing to people, teaching, and kind of giving final instructions to his followers. And then he ascends to heaven, he leaves this earth, and, and 10 days after that, Pentecost happens. Now, for us to kind of better understand and even more appreciate Pentecost, uh, we need to have at least a baseline understanding of the three major Jewish holidays. There are actually seven in total, uh, but there are three major ones. Uh, They're not dissimilar to like Easter, Fourth of July, and Christmas that most 21st century Americans would celebrate. Uh, Some of you, you might not know this, but Jesus was Jewish and he entered into a largely Jewish world. And it was Jesus himself who said that, hey, I haven't come to do away with, to get rid of, to abolish the Jewish faith. But but instead, I have come to fulfill everything written about, actually me, the Messiah, you might not know that yet, but written about me within the Jewish scriptures. So I'm not coming to abolish it, I'm coming to fulfill. In fact, that first half of this book that we call the Bible, uh, what we would traditionally refer to as the Old Testament in the Christian faith, it's actually the Jewish Bible, that they're one and the same. And the reason the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures were ever included and bound with the second half, the New Testament, to form the Bible is because those early followers kept reading those Jewish scriptures, that Old Testament, thinking to themselves, how in the heck did we miss this? This is so clearly pointing to, this is so clearly talking about Jesus. The the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures provide evidence that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. He came to, again, fulfill those Jewish scriptures, to fulfill those Jewish prophecies. So when we take a look at these three major Jewish holidays, and then now with the benefit of hindsight, we're able to look and see what Jesus was up to during his time on earth. We see all this foreshadowing. We see how involved in the details. We see how intentional Jesus was in everything that he did. I'll show you what I mean. That The first of the three major Jewish holidays is an event that we would call Passover. Passover celebrates when the Israelites, God's chosen people, who much of the text within the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures centers around, were delivered out of slavery from under the Egyptians. Now, for those of you that maybe don't know the history of the Egyptians, uh, for hundreds of years, they found themselves under bondage, under slavery to the Egyptians. And that obviously, being God's chosen people, that was not his plan for them. 
And so he sends a messenger, a guy you've probably heard of called Moses to deliver them, the Israelites, the Jewish people, out of slavery from under the Egyptians. And Passover specifically focuses and celebrates an event where the firstborn male of every family was gonna die unless the blood of a lamb was put around the doorframe of your home. Now that's a whole nother story, but again, Moses, he gets sent and he basically says, Pharaoh, hey, uh, you need to let my people go. You need to let God's chosen people go. But uh, the Israelites were pretty productive for the Egyptians, like those whole pyramids like, who do you think built those? And so he wasn't too quick to just say, yeah, sure, these people can leave. And so God begins to send all these different plagues. And the 10th and final plague, which was kind of the last straw for Pharaoh, was this plague where God said, hey, the firstborn of every household, the firstborn male of every household is going to die unless the blood of a lamb was put around the doorframe, at which point the angel of death would pass over, that's where we get our name, your house and your firstborn would be spared. So obviously the Israelites, that night before they went to bed, this wasn't like, oh crud, I forgot to turn out the lights in the garage. It's like, hey, make sure you put that blood of the lamb around your doorframe so that you do not lose your firstborn child. So upon being delivered from Egypt, again, as already mentioned, that was the final straw for Pharaoh. He's watching the firstborn male, even in his own household pass away. He's like, fine, the Jewish people, the Israelites can leave. Following being delivered from Egypt, the Jewish people, they continued to celebrate this event called Passover. The fact that yes, God spared the firstborn among his chosen people, but more broadly speaking, Passover, it celebrates the deliverance out of slavery from the hands of the Egyptians, that despite all the odds stacked against them, God delivered them safely eventually into the promised land. Now, like I said, everything that Jesus did during his time on earth, it was so intentional. It's so rich. And again, he didn't come to abolish the Jewish faith tradition. He came to fulfill it. So here's what's so cool and and shows you how intentional Jesus was in all of this. I'm going to connect some of these dots for us. The Passover lamb, within the Jewish faith tradition, when they would celebrate Passover, they would sacrifice a lamb. And that lamb was sacrificed at 9 a.m. on Passover. Jesus, he was put to death on on the calendar, what we would call Good Friday, which also happened to be the Passover celebration in Jerusalem. This is in fact, when you read about the death of Jesus on the cross, there were so many people gathered in Jerusalem at that point because all these people had traveled to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Now, anybody wanna guess what time he was maybe put to death on the cross? Jesus was sacrificed at 9 a.m. precisely. He was nailed to that cross, and we know this from a whole mess of historical documents, not just the Bible, but he was sacrificed on the cross at precisely 9 a.m. Now, within the Jewish faith tradition, they they didn't just sacrifice the lamb, but they would actually eat it later in the day, and they therefore had to cook it. And the lamb was put in the oven at 3 p.m. Amongst Jewish people, when they celebrate Passover, that lamb's put in the oven at precisely 3 p.m. Y'all are starting to maybe see where I'm going with this. Guess what time Jesus was put into the tomb? Jesus was put in the tomb at 3 p.m. Now, you got to keep in mind, at this point, when all this is happening with Jesus, when he's being put to death, when he's being put in the tomb, nobody's putting this stuff together. Nobody's going, oh my goodness, look at all this foreshadowing that's happening. No, no, we are so fortunate that all of us watching right now, we have that benefit of hindsight. We can see how involved in the details that Jesus was. Now, this lamb, when the Jewish people celebrate Passover, uh, the sacrifice covered their sins. It, it was an atonement for, the sin, for their sins. You're still a sinner, but that lamb would provide atonement for your wrongdoing. But here's what's so beautiful about Jesus. His sacrifice removed our sins. This is so, so, so important. When you place your trust in Jesus, God no longer sees you as a sinner. He sees you as brand new. You have been washed entirely clean because of the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. 
This is precisely why Paul penned these words to the early Christian church in Ephesus. He he says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. It, It is almost impossible for us to comprehend that the creator of the universe, the God of the universe made the standard so simple that the way that you were declared righteous, the way you get that right standing back with God, it simply comes down to belief, trust, faith. Do you believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, who he proved himself to be? And he goes on, he says, you can't take credit for this. It it, it is a gift from God. Salvation, what we receive upon putting our trust in Jesus is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us, none of us can boast about it. The the, the sacrifice that Jesus offered is a gift. You or I did nothing to deserve it. You or I did nothing that compelled God to take this step in our direction. It, It is a gift from God to us because he loves you that much, because he is love. We we talked a little bit about this last week. It, It is a seminal moment in all of our faith journeys when we begin to come to grips with just how crazy God is about you, that more than anything else, he just wants you. And you need to look no further than the cross for evidence of that. So Passover, it points to, it foreshadows salvation. Passover foreshadows the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. What a lamb was once covering, Jesus now removes We now have that right standing with God, righteousness restored to us because of the redemptive work of Jesus. Now, now fortunately, I think for all of us, this is not where the story ends for the person who has put their faith in Jesus. That this right here is really the beginning. God has so much more for you. Which brings us to that second major Jewish holiday, Pentecost. Now, very simply translated, this word Pentecost literally translated means 50. It's a holiday that was celebrated 50 days after Passover, when again, the angel of death passed over the Israelites' homes. Some of you smart people, you're already connecting the dots. The rest of you, don't worry, I'm gonna help you out here in a second. We gotta celebrate those C-plus students around here. Now, in the Jewish tradition, 50 days after Passover, the law was given to Moses and subsequently the Jewish people on Mount Sinai. It's this event where all the Jewish people, 50 days after they've been delivered out of Egypt, they have gathered around Mount Sinai and they're waiting for the law. The rules basically for right living are gonna be hand-delivered to them from God himself. This is the event that's depicted in all those cathedral paintings with Moses holding on to those stone tablets containing the 10 commandments. Now on that day around Mount Sinai, a cloud descended with a loud noise and fire. That this is how the law was delivered to Moses that particular day on Mount Sinai. But on the day of Pentecost that we are talking about this morning, that the day of Pentecost within the Christian church community, when the spirit of God was delivered on those early followers, the Holy Spirit descended with a loud sound and fire. Now, again, I I want to invite you to read all about this event for yourself, again, in the book of Acts in the second chapter. 50 days after Jesus rose from the grave, 10 days after he ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit was released on those first century followers of Jesus. In fact, we're gonna take a look at a passage of scripture here in just a second. But, but, But Jesus literally said before he left, he's like, don't do anything. I'm serious. Do not do a thing until you receive the Holy Spirit. Even though you don't totally understand this yet, and I know you're pretty fired up about the fact that right now, like you just saw your friend rise from the grave, but but that's gonna fade fast. You are going to need the Holy Spirit. So don't do anything. Don't get on your horses and go start telling everybody about me until you receive the Holy Spirit. Sit tight until that point. 
And again, this is 50 days after Jesus rose from the grave, sort of like 50 days after the Passover celebration in the Jewish tradition, they would celebrate Pentecost. Now on that day, on Mount Sinai, God wrote his law on tablets of stone, which they would then keep in the Ark of Covenant and they tow around everywhere they went until Indiana Jones found it later. That part's a joke. But with the Holy Spirit, God wrote his law in our hearts. Now, here's what I mean by that. As a follower of Jesus, when the Holy Spirit was released on that day of Pentecost, 50 days post the resurrection of Jesus, everywhere you go, and this continues now today, God now himself goes with you. God in spirit. Now, now another really interesting parallel to draw here is on that day of Pentecost with Moses and the Jewish people on Mount Sinai, 3,000 people died. And here's why that occurred. Uh, some of the people, they felt like Moses was just taking too long up on the mountain. So he kind of tells them, hey, sit tight here. I'm going to go up on the mountain. I'm going to go get the law from God. And then I'm going to come back down and I'm going to give it to all of you. But, but he's taking a really long time. And so the people, and I want you to keep in mind, they have just been delivered from the Egyptians against all the odds. I mean, we're only 50 days. We're not even two months removed from that. And Moses has taken a long time. And so they decide, a certain group of people decide to make an idol, specifically a golden calf. And they start to worship it, thinking, okay, we're going to take matters into our own hands. Maybe this will go a little bit quicker than whatever Moses is doing up, up there. Uh, needless to say, again, 3,000 people died. It did not go particularly well for them. Now, now watch this. This is so crazy. On the day of Pentecost, again, that we recognize, 50 days post the resurrection of Jesus, when the Holy Spirit is unleashed on those early followers of Jesus, 3,000 people were saved. Seriously, again, go read about this event for yourself. But, but people begin to speak in unknown languages that they didn't previously know. People are prophesying and speaking words over other people that they could have not previously known under any circumstances. And the bystanders, people that are around this event are going, what is happening? There is something supernatural happening in our midst. And 3,000 people decide to put their trust in Jesus on that one day alone. I mean, isn't all this mirroring absolutely riveting? Maybe this is just a me thing. Like I said, Jesus in Acts chapter one, he, he foreshadows all this. He tells them that this is gonna happen. He says, do not leave Jerusalem. He's talking to these early followers. Again, this is before Pentecost. Until the father sends you the gift, who is the Holy Spirit, we now know that. He promised, as I told you before, John, John the Baptist, baptized with water. But in just a few days, on this day of Pentecost, 50 days post my resurrection, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And he continues, he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when I unleash the Holy Spirit on every follower of Jesus. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And I love that Jesus includes this, to the ends of the earth, because that includes me and you. He's going, you're gonna receive a power that if you wanna experience victory in this life and fulfill all that I have called you to fulfill, you are absolutely going to need him. It will be impossible to do all that I am going to call you to do on your own strength. You, we need the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna to continue to make this really, really clear. Being Pentecostal isn't weird. <laughs> It's not anything to be feared. It's something you need if you want to experience victory on this earth. I've been saying it throughout this series. You cannot live. You cannot live the life that God has designed for you apart from the indwelling, the constant, the regular presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, which is again why Jesus was adamant about don't do a thing 
Don't even try to go out there and spread my name until you receive the Holy Spirit. And and so Pentecost, it's all about pointing to that power to make a difference. The the power to do that which you're not gonna be able to pull off on your own. We're gonna come back to Pentecost here in just a second, but I promised you there are actually three major Jewish holidays. And the third is the Feast of Tabernacles. Now the other two, Passover, Pentecost, they occur in the spring. This one happens in the fall around harvest time. Obviously back at this point in history, it was largely an agricultural society. But but this holiday it celebrates, or better put, was a call for the Jewish people to remember the 40 years they spent wandering around in the desert. Now, again, as you read about the Israelites, God's chosen people within the Old Testament, uh, it's in fact actually kind of hard not to read it and kind of insert yourself in that story because it's this constant roller coaster where they would follow God for a season and then they'd fall away. They'd follow God and then they'd build an idol. And as a punishment, as noted on Mount Sinai when they literally built a golden calf and started worshiping that instead, again, just 50 days after being delivered from the Egyptians, as a punishment for that, they, they spent 40 years wandering in the desert. God had made it very clear, hey, I am going to give you and deliver you into your promised land. And and I'm not going to break that promise, but but as kind of like a a punishment for what you have done and how you have treated me and how quickly you have abandoned me, you're going to spend 40 years wandering around in the desert. And and hence the word here, tabernacles, which is a word for a tent or a portable home. Until God would finally deliver them into the promised land, their permanent home, they were going to spend time in tabernacles or portable homes. So again, with tabernacles, they were wandering and lived in temporary homes. Now, how is this being fulfilled? Again, you're catching the theme here. How is this being mirrored? I, I try to remind us of this all the time. We are living on this earth as temporary residents. As a follower of Jesus, you are living as an exile on this earth. You are passing through until you eventually arrive at your final destination. Now, with the Israelites, they were brought to their final home. They may have had to wander for 40 years, but they were eventually delivered into the promised land. And in a similar way, we will be brought to our final home in heaven. Life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever, an eternity spent with God in heaven. Now, they celebrated tabernacles, as mentioned. They celebrated it during the harvest season. Again, this was an agricultural society. There's so much imagery in that alone. We don't have time to dive into that. But similarly, there will be a great final harvest of people. Now, now I happen to believe that we're actually in this this harvest generation, if you will, right now. Listen to this. I, I find this absolutely incredible. More people have come to faith in Christ over the last 20 years in our world than the previous 2,000 years. I hear so many Christians right now lamenting what has happened to the Christian church since the pandemic hit. But it's really only in first world countries like America where where this is occurring. Virtually everywhere else in the world, Christianity is thriving. In fact, let me just give you one example of this. Through a church starting cooperative that we as a church are financially involved in, something called the Timothy Initiative, since it launched in 2009, and again, we have not been involved since the beginning. We became involved with them financially starting this last year in 2021. They have started nearly 27,000 churches among some of the hardest to reach people in environments that are most hostile towards Christianity, places like Nepal, places like India, accounting, listen to this, for over 200,000 baptisms. This is just one movement amongst many. There is a great harvest happening right now. And Jesus makes it very, very clear that he will return. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, for the Lord himself 
will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then, then we will be with the Lord. What's that word? Forever. Now, it can kind of freak people out talking too much about end times. And in my opinion, well-meaning people can get way too caught up in the details of this. But the moral of the story is that Jesus is coming back. Now, now watch what Paul says here at the end of this verse. He says, so encourage each other with these words. And if you're not careful, you can almost take this as he's saying this sarcastically. But the reason he says that, and he's not trying to be funny, is because he's talking to a group of people who have already put their trust in Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, when Christ returns, you don't have anything to worry about. It's a day of celebration. The only reason this might come across as sarcastic or talking of end times might freak you out is because you're not sure where you're going. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is going to be really, really great. We get to spend eternity with our creator. So Tabernacles is all about pointing to the fact that Jesus is coming back. We're actually going to spend an entire Sunday talking about this second coming because it's so often misunderstood at the beginning of April. So you have to wait a couple of months. That's kind of a long teaser there, but make sure you keep coming back. I'm excited about this next series we're going to dive into as well. But, but these three major holidays, they parallel three important truths that we all need to be aware of as you maybe consider following Jesus or even for those of you who have already put your trust in him. So, so again, it all begins with Passover, which is all about pointing us to salvation, placing your trust in Jesus. That, that the only way you get that right standing back with God is by trusting in the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. You didn't do anything to deserve it. It's a free gift from God himself. Pentecost points to the fact that there is a power to make a difference. Jesus literally told his early followers, don't you dare do a thing until you receive the Holy Spirit. And the reason he said this is the same reason he says it to us today. You are not going to be able to do jack squat on your own power. God absolutely has a plan for your life, for you watching right now, but you're not going to be able to pull it off on your own power. You need the Holy Spirit. So for 10 days after Jesus left this earth, those early followers, they just sat around, they twiddled their thumbs until the Holy Spirit was sent, what we now celebrate as Pentecost. Then, and only then, did they go marching out into the world to stand as witnesses for Christ. That the same group of cowards who headed for the hills when Jesus was killed, they're now on the front lines telling everyone who would listen about Jesus, even if it cost them their lives, and for most of them, it did. Where did that confidence, where did that power come from? the Holy Spirit living in them. If you're going to make a difference in this world and do all that God wants you to do with your life, you need the Holy Spirit. You need that power from the Holy Spirit. And then tabernacles, again, it points to the fact that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back and we will spend eternity in heaven if we have put our trust in Jesus. That's not something to dread, but celebrate if you call yourself a follower of Jesus. Now, with like the whopping, I don't know, five minutes that I've left myself, I'm going to explain why Pentecost, why this grand entry by the Holy Spirit is so important to us some 2,000 years later. And we're actually going to get into even more detail on this particular content next week. This is just kind of the appetizer. As already noted, the Holy Spirit is very much available to you. He is just as available to you as he was on that day of Pentecost when he was unleashed to the Christian church at large. He wants a relationship with you. And within that relationship, as he lives within you, he gives us this power to make a difference. And I think he goes about doing this in three ways. Number one, the Holy Spirit empowers me to live righteously. 
I mentioned this several times already throughout this series, but so many of us, we grew up with this very disappointing message of, hey, say this prayer, accept Jesus into your heart so you can get to go to heaven, but good luck living a victorious life this side of heaven. And when you do screw up, just say sorry and just try harder next time. I mean, good grief, are we ever setting people up for failure? People are quickly disappointed by their salvation experience because they figure out the exact same sins, the exact same temptations are just as glaring as they were before they said the prayer. For whatever reason, we fail to mention that it's only through relationship, a friendship with the Holy Spirit, that we can live a life that is free of sin. And instead, a life that is truly marked by victory and freedom. Most importantly, a life that is characterized by the love of God towards others and ourselves. Paul makes it a point to say, hey, you're not controlled by your sinful nature. Uh, Upon receiving Christ, uh, upon the Holy Spirit living in you, you are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. This doesn't come about because you're trying harder. It happens because the Spirit of God lives within you. And as mentioned last week, not sinning for the sake of not sinning, not sinning for the sake of avoiding bad behavior, that's not the goal. It's that sin exclusively leads to what is bad for you and the people around you. And because God is for you, he wants you to avoid it. Too too many adults are still trying to play the, oh, God just doesn't want me to have any fun card. Get that crap out of here. Sin, though it may provide temporary satisfaction, always has negative consequences and you know it. Stop playing dumb with God. Two, the Holy Spirit empowers, empowers me to live supernaturally. Again, we're gonna dive into a lot more detail on this next week, but if you read about the life of Jesus, anyone, it's undeniable that he lived a supernatural life right? Miracles, a piece of information about a person that was previously unknown, the right words at the right time. All of this, I want to make this very, very clear. Everything that you see within the life of Jesus is available to you. I love how Paul puts this, that the guy who, mind you, besides Jesus himself, should receive more credit for spreading the name of Jesus than anyone else who has ever lived. I'm telling you, we are not watching right now. We are not participating in this church thing without Paul. He goes out of his way to say, and my message and my preaching were very plain. (laughs) Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this. It was intentional. So we had trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. He's going, I was intentionally trying to be dry. I was intentionally trying to be boring, but yet the Holy Spirit still did his thing. God actually worked despite me. The Holy Spirit wants to work supernaturally in all of our lives. As I said in part one, it certainly bears worth repeating, the Holy Spirit is a person who looks for ways to help the hurting and connect them with a Father who loves them and the Savior who died for them. And I'm telling you, he will use any means to make this a reality. The Holy Spirit, with him, the supernatural becomes common. And then number three, the Holy Spirit empowers me to live on mission. The Holy Spirit empowers you to consistently live a life where you can, with full integrity, look someone in the eye and say, follow me as I follow Christ. That the Holy Spirit allows you to live a life where you consistently put the needs and the desires of others ahead of your own. A a life that is truly marked by love and servanthood. A a life that looks a lot like Jesus. A A life that demands the attention of a broken world and people cannot help but take a closer look. Listen, people new to our church who clearly kind of have a church background, one of the common questions they'll ask me, I'm not kidding, is, hey, is Grumlaw Pentecostal? 
And if by asking that question, you're curious if we embrace the biblical definition of Pentecostal, then yes, it is in fact a resounding yes. We believe in and we embrace the work and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in this church because every follower of Jesus needs the Holy Spirit. If you're new around here, I'm going to be very, very blunt right now. And you're looking for a church that's going to meet all your needs, a place that's all about serving you, then this definitely isn't the church for you. We are a church community who is committed to living on mission in our temporary, in our limited amount of time on this earth. In that vein, I am super, super excited to announce to all of you right now that uh, if you've been coming here for really any amount of time, you certainly heard us talk about uh, this border station that we sponsor with Our Daughters International between Nepal and India, which its sole purpose, the only reason it exists, is to save women from human trafficking. Uh, And since the beginning, since we launched this church, we've been sponsoring one of those border stations. And now, starting in 2022, uh, we are taking a leap of faith and we are sponsoring our second border station now. Every single day, just one of those border stations rescues between four and ten girls from human trafficking. Because we are committed to living on mission in our temporary amount of time on earth, all of you and the generosity of so many of you are making that possible. Listen, if you're new to all this, or maybe you're really learning about the Holy Spirit for the first time in your life, even though you've been kind of doing church for a long time, I don't want you to miss this. Being filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't make me better than you. It makes me better than me. I cannot do all that God has called me to do and live the life that God has called me to live without the power, without the presence of the Holy Spirit. And neither can you which is precisely why Pentecost is really, really good news for every one of us. Why it has such incredible implications for every one of our lives.